Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, it's Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Today, we're looking at a duo pair of games. We are talking about both Sale and Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard. And they're both for duo players? Yeah. Duo and pair? I think I meant to say like dual. I'm not sure. (laughs) Anyway, it's two games that are both two player only cooperative trick takers. So we thought it would make sense to kind of cover them at the same time. Yeah. And so we won't have a design discussion today, but we will compare the two games at the end and maybe even bring in some other stuff like Fox in the Forest Duet, although I haven't played that in a very long time. So I don't know why I just said that, but uh, maybe we'll talk about that at the end, too. <laughs> I, I vaguely remember it. <laughs> I haven't played it in a while either. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Sure. So I'll, I'll jump in with one first. I've been doing a lot of this is kind of it seems to be crowdfunding season. I've been doing a lot of crowdfunding games. Then I have even more coming. So what I'll mention is really quickly because it's going on crowdfunding as of the airing of this. I think the following Tuesday is a uh, Dyson Crusoe. So this is it's a PNP. I think it's by a Korean designer, I want to say. And it is, as you might imagine, from a name like Dyson Crusoe. It is uh, Robinson Crusoe. It's heavily inspired by the portal game Robinson Crusoe. But it's a dice placement solo only game. Huh. And it's it's very hard, just like uh, original Robinson Crusoe. So if you like that, <laughs> you might like this. But it's really cool. Uh, Peter, did you ever play Nautilion, the On- Oniverse game? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So if I, you remember I don't that. I remember it, but well, I played it. <laughs> well, maybe this will kind of spark your memory. The, the core mechanic in Nautilion was you would roll three dice and like one would move you, one would move the enemy ship. And then yep. one, if it had a bad enough value, would like activate the, the evil lighthouse thing. So you kind of like have to weigh the dice not doing bad things for them versus the be- like things you want to done for yourself. Yep. This is a very similar system where you have like three dice and you're actually using them to move a little meeple around a rondelle, which is going to activate different actions like harvesting wood, harvesting stone, resting, hunting animals. But then the order you use the dice determines which die goes onto the weather and which die goes onto like the beast spot. And that's going to control how bad the weather is the next round and how much the beasts attack you the next round. So again, you have to like kind of weigh like, ah, this action is way weaker for me, but it's going to make them not do bad stuff to me. And then you have like different goals you can go for and different inventions you can create. So yeah, for, for a, it, it's a much faster, much, much more inexpensive, much, uh, much uh, smaller table space, uh, Robinson Crusoe. But honestly, I'm a sucker for those kind of dice placement systems. And I don't love the dice in Robinson Crusoe. So I think between the two, I would probably much rather play Dyson Crusoe at this point. Yeah, I mean, it sounds that way to me, and I haven't even played it. Like, I love the concept of doing that. Now, I don't love the concept of it being over hard. Is there ways to change difficulty, or they just go with one difficulty? Uh, so, yeah, there there are ways to change difficulty, actually a couple different ways. I mean, first of all, the quests kind of get more complicated and harder, but then you can also play with a weaker version of the character who has less life. And there's one other thing I'm forgetting, but yeah, there's several Nothing... ways to change Nothing you're saying makes it sound like you can make it easier. Oh, I'm sorry. No, what? (laughs) What kind of? I mean, yes, you can play the the basic tutorial quest and win that probably. (laughs) Well, you said it's super hard. Like, I don't know. Like, I want sometimes to just play something fun, not like super hard. Well, yeah. 
Maybe not this game. <laughs> okay. Survival yeah. on an island is hard, Peter. Come on. I mean, could you give yourself like two extra life? Oh, I mean, well, that's day? the thing. You could easily give yourself extra life. You could easily start with some stone and wood. Like th- there's there's a billion extremely simple ways you can make the game more winnable for sure. Got it. Okay. All right. So there is ways to make it easier. Just yes. They, they just aren't ways. actively supported in the rule book. <laughs> yes. All right. Got it. So is it, are they going to have a print and play copy or is it just like for a physical copy? So I believe, I mean, this is a print and play game. I think it's still on BGG, but yes, uh, this is the first time I believe that an official like physical version will be in the States. It's the next game coming from Gabe Barrett, who's doing like one solo game a month right now. He did a re-release of uh, one of the hunted games last month. Yes, he asked us to make something, but we don't have time. Well, yes. Yeah, we, we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> Oh, you're still thinking about it? Okay. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, that's cool. Yeah. yeah no, so so I, that, was, uh, that was Dyson Crusoe. Should be on. I'll have a preview. It should be on crowdfunding next week. But how about you, Peter? All right. So the two games I'm going to talk about, and both very briefly, because honestly, they'll probably be our next two reviews, are Wormspan and Agamonia. I know we've talked a lot about Agamonia. So we'll, I guess we'll just start with that. Played through some of the earlier missions and am really enjoying it so far. I think it is mostly a story-based game, but there is enough like puzzly combat stuff on a board for me to stay interested in that part of the game. The, the difference between that and ISS Vanguard to me, because both have pretty heavy story, and neither of which I am super invested in, um, just because I don't get invested. Not that I think it's bad. I actually think the story here is quite good. I'm just it's hard for me to get invested for whatever reason. My mind doesn't work that way, but the combat in this one is more interesting. And the, the board stuff you're doing is more interesting to me. So I find myself more interested and more excited to get this one to the table than ISS Vanguard. Although I know you and Jerry love both of these games. So uh, I like this more than ISS Vanguard. I I would say easily. (laughs) Okay. I I still very much like ISS. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll probably do a full review in a couple more weeks or something. But yeah, Agamonia is so far easily my number one game of the year. I know it's only February, so that's not saying a lot. Yes. <laughs> but I, you know, looking at what's coming, I, I cannot imagine a world where it won't be in my top five. Because yeah. it's not just that it's my favorite of the year so far. It is very high among my favorites of the year. You know what I mean? Like on all time list. Oh, no, 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 not like all. I'm not saying it's like top 10 of all time. I actually am doing, I'm starting a top 100 series this uh, week. <laughs> Peter, I'm doing like uh, five videos with 100 down to one. Zagamonia on there? I don't know about that. It's kind of new. But for this year, it's number one. And it's like high number one, you know, like yeah, several points above the next closest game. <laughs> well, if you need extra content, I'm not doing a top 100, but I could probably do a top 20. Top 50, maybe? Yeah, you can do like a little companion video after maybe mine is done or before the final episode or something. That'd be fun. Maybe get Jason to do one, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely not doing a top 100. That's way too many games. I, You, you know me. I can't remember games we played two months ago. There's no way I'm going to remember 100 games and how I like them. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, that sounds fair. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have another one before I hit Wormstand? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So my other one is actually a re... So I am doing a video of this. I got a new review copy. And this is uh, After the Virus. Sorry, I'm bearing the lead. So After the Virus, which is the famously, like, kind of weird-looking bobble-headed character zombie deck-building game. 
Did you ever That's play this just one? the cards. Yes, they did. It's a, the little tiny box, right? With yes, just it's like... a tiny box. It's just uh, three decks, identical decks of cards and some tokens and some player boards and a bunch of different scenarios. I like that so, game. Yeah, so I I didn't... I remember like not being that high on it, but I hadn't played it in a long time. And this uh, Alex from our Discord, one of our Discord members, so thanks, Alex. He was like, hey, uh, the game's better than you think. The new expansion's really good. And also, it's great co-op. And I feel like, you know, Mike of the past, maybe he's a maybe he's an unscrupulous guy. I feel like I didn't ever play it co-op. I don't I don't remember. No, I don't think we ever played it co-op. Yeah, I think I like I think even my review, I was like, man, they included some extra decks of cards. That's dumb. Just play it solo. <laughs> like I feel like that's literally something I said. So I played it co-op, and yeah, it's way better. Like there's way more mitigation. It's actually got really cool cooperation. Like it's really interesting how the co-op works. I played with my son, he loved it. We went through uh, one of the entire campaigns. Oh, and, wow. the, and the long cold is really cool too. There's an expansion and what it adds is. So in the, in the old one, the campaigns have no connection, like narratively they're connected and right. they get harder, but you know, it's just like play another mission. You could jump to the last mission. Who cares? Yep. In the long cold, it's a C I think they have three or four campaigns that are each four missions long. So they're not, you know, it's like a two hours maybe to play through the whole thing. And how it works is after each mission, you upgrade one of the zombies in your deck. So they have a whole like deck of different levels of upgraded zombies. So you just randomly grab one of those and swap it out for a basic zombie from your deck. But then also during the missions, there are upgraded cards that you can permanently get into your deck at the cost of getting rid of a different card. So your deck stays the same size. And these are not cards you start the game with necessarily, but they're, they're now like cards in your deck. And you can kind of like make builds. So like in, in the last campaign we did, I went really trap heavy and added all these things that combo together for traps. You know, again, I still had to deck build into them and I wouldn't have them right away, but there were like more trap options in my deck. And That's my cool. son had like more machine guns because <laughs> why wouldn't you want that? I mean, yeah, I was about to say, like I would have been all about the machine guns. Forget and then on top of that, most of the scenarios will let you keep something from the last scenario. So it has even more like direct portability. And it means that you tend to have your combos going faster in the later scenarios since they're harder. Now, the big negative is the game is still hard as heck. Like even with co-op, which makes it a little easier, it's still just monstrously difficult. <laughs> but sure. it's But it's a lot of fun. So I think it might be a keeper for me this time especially with my son enjoying it. So yeah, I'm doing a re redo video on that, like in the next few weeks, but it's cool to try a game that I was like, meh and called. Like I, I like when somebody from a discord or YouTube or whatever suggests it and I give it another chance. And, and it's not even saying that the game changed or that my opinion changed. I, I've changed as a gamer. I know that's the case. I know. I'm I love when I, I suggest things to you and you never want to try them. Like, cause somebody else tried it or whatever. When, when does that happen? I don't know. Name a week. Shut up. <laughs> What's your other game, Peter? So my other game's Wormspan. And is this like officially released yet? Or You can definitely at least pre-order it. I don't know if it's delivered to people yet or not. I know it is like it's number two on the BGG hotness. But either way, to talk about it. How are you feeling about Wormspan? I already did a video on it. Yeah, so Wormspan is a, uh, it's Wingspan, basically, uh, with dragons. So let's start there. I already like it better. Because <laughs> dragons are way better than birds. But I, I have a short story that I'm going to tell, which I know you know. I'm going to make it quick. But, and it doesn't make me look good. So, uh, but but I think it's funny. So I met Elizabeth Hargrove originally at a playtest event in Maryland. Because she was out of D.C. Break My Game is the, uh, the name of the playtest events. And I was down there at College Park playing 
And we didn't have time to play each other's games that day, but I was like, well, walk me through it. You know, she hadn't published any, you know, had anything published at that point. And she kind of talking me through it. And our friend TC had just come off of his game, which was really good, but it had the weirdest theme where you're like breaking down oxygen and pulling stuff out of it. And it was like a deck builder, but like it was a really good gameplay. But because of this weird theme, like it didn't do very well. So the only piece of advice I had for her, because again, I hadn't played the game. I didn't, I was like, it sounds cool. I was like, the only thing I would say is if you're trying to sell it to a publisher, you may want to change the theme because nature themes at that point, and right. this, this say. shows me how <laughs> stupid I am, right? Like how wrong I was. I was like, I was like, you know, because my buddy made a game that was really good, but the theme scared people away. I said, you should probably do something like dragons. I was like, you know, if you're doing eggs and like dragons can have eggs and, you know, they can find resources too. Like, you know, I was like going through everything to make this a dragon game. And as you know, we made our own dragon game, uh, very different than Wormspan, but like, I don't know. So I went through all this and then totally forgot about it. Didn't think about it forever until I heard her on a podcast. So everybody can listen to this. I think it's an onboard games. So if you listen back to like her first appearance on onboard games, I think she actually makes fun of me in that <laughs> on that podcast. She's like, yeah, some idiot said I should retheme it to dragons. <laughs> that idiot was me. <laughs> like, by the way. So all these well, years that, later, n- none of that means that you weren't wrong for the time. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously I was because Wingspan has been tremendously successful. In fact, it, it spurred all these nature games since then. And, and the funny part is, she told me that Jamie Stegmeyer had already signed it for Stonemeyer. I said, okay, never mind everything I said. Like, like I didn't <laughs> say that at the end. As soon as she said, like, Stonemeyer had signed it, I'm like, yeah, Jamie knows what he's doing. Never mind. Ignore everything I said. But it was funny that, like, all these years ago, I was like, you should retheme Wingspan into Dragons. <laughs> well, guess what? That dream has come to reality, and that game is Wormspan. So I played it twice now, once with my son and once with my wife. We just literally finished playing it tonight. And she was planning on playing like one or two turns. She does like Wingspan. We haven't played it in a while, though. So like she didn't, you know, she has the basics, the background of Wingspan. But like we hadn't played it in probably six months or more. So like, you know, the the intricacies of the rules she didn't remember. And maybe that's better because I haven't played Wingspan in a while either. But it's like similar enough where I think maybe you could get things confused a little bit if you played a lot of Wingspan but different enough that, I mean, honestly, for me, beside the dragon theme, I actually like gameplay better because you basically only have three choices. And I think Wingspan maybe only had four choices, but then they also have this guild board in the middle, which changes things up a little bit. So bottom line is some people are describing it as more complicated. I actually think it's a more straightforward, simpler version of the game, but with more variety at the same time because of that guild board in the middle. And I don't know, because the cave cards are different than the dice. And I didn't love the dice in the way they worked and the way you gathered resources in Wingspan. So that that part changes a little bit. I mean, bottom line is there's a, like 90% of it is a very similar game. And like 10% of it's different. But I like the 10% they changed. And I like 100% of the theme change to Dragons. Because, you know, I'm still waiting on my royalty check for that. <laughs> Which will never come, by the way, and it never should. I, that is totally a joke. Well, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I don't think I would ever play Wingspan again. Uh, my kids, uh, or at least my oldest, who played it, he really liked Wormspan. My wife liked it. They both like Wingspan too. So I'm not saying like it's drastically better, but certainly the theme is more fun, and I like 
like the small things. Like I, I like the putting down caves and getting a benefit, like that sort of extra step to it. I definitely much, like you said, prefer the way they do resources now. I never like those dice. It's just kind of like an extra annoying thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I do think there's a little more thinkiness to how you have to get resources now. And I think there's a little bit slower buildup. I don't remember how slow the buildup was in Wingspan, but here definitely at one point early on, Linda said, I feel like I'm not getting stuff fast enough, right? Like a little bit early on. And I said, well, you could do this, which would give you that and that, and you'd be able to play that next turn and then really ramp up your resource generation. And she did it. And like, it did get her in, but I think you can get a little stuck early with Wormspan if you don't focus on one of those columns and really make it good so you can start getting, especially the resource one, the top one. I feel like if you don't get that one going early, it's it it can take a little while to get into. Sure, sure. All right, so uh, those are a few games we've been playing. Uh, we talked about Wormspan, After the Virus, Agamonia, and Dyson Crusoe. And by the way, Wormspan, it looks like you can order it from Stonemeyer, and they're saying it'll take one to three weeks. But I'm seeing on BGG at least a few reviews of people who are not reviewers getting early copies. So it seems like if you order it, you'll get it after a little while. <laughs> so there That's you go. Cool. And yeah, again, we uh, I think every single thing we mentioned today, we got a review copy of in one way or another. So and and the two games we're going to talk about today, just pretty much assume unless we say otherwise that everything we talk about in general, we got a review copy of because we, we tend to get a lot of games these days. Yes. And Mike won't let me buy anything just because I mean, we have too many games already. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Let's uh, get to our main review. But first, I did want to thank some of our amazing Patreon supporters. So we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. And over there, you get early access to our videos. You can see like my top 100 videos that I mentioned coming a week early. And we also have exclusive videos, extra conversations between me and Peter, uh, extra top 10 lists, extra playthroughs, just tons of stuff. We got close to 100 of those extra videos now. Nowhere else you can see them. So yeah, if it's within your budget, consider supporting us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. And if not, uh, feel free to subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to this podcast, go leave us a uh, review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That all really helps. And yeah, we appreciate it. But uh, let's thank a few of our specific patrons. So Chen Chen, Eugen Angel, and Christian Coopers. Uh, Chen, Eugen, and Christian, thank you all for your support. And thanks again to all our amazing patrons. You make this all happen. Yes, thank you, everybody. And I love how you mentioned, like, you and I did videos together, like, as the first bullet point for like videos we have we did like three videos together ever for patreon you've done like of those 100 you've done like 97 of them but hey but. hey 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 if, if they're here for the podcast i gotta lead with the stuff they really like you know that that peter <laughs> mike talk in action yes we one of them we did was horror movies i remember that yeah that was a fun one uh you know we, we could do one on top trick takers next time who knows Oh, I love trick takers. I do. Although love I feel like we're so like I've played a few of the ones coming out of Japan and Korea, I guess, including Sale and Jekyll and Hyde. But it's just exploded as a genre, like in the last five years, insanely so that I've like somebody like uh, Candice on BGG or uh, the Thinker Themer uh, ladies. They were telling me about all these ones I'd never even heard of. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's crazy how many trick takers are these days. But we're talking about two of them. Let's get to Sale first. All right, and I'll explain the rules really quickly. Sail again is a two-player cooperative trick taker where you are both on the same crew trying to sail your pirate ship through Kraken-infested waters to get to basically an end zone. Not an end zone like in football, but the 
end and it's a zone. So <laughs> I think it I mean, that, that's kind of like football. It's kind of like football. Yeah, you got to uh, you're basically in the base game. You're dodging uh, Kraken tentacles and you were dodging islands that pop up in the middle of the board. And then you are also trying to stay away from the edges of the board, because if you win a trick, basically, when you play a trick between the two players, you're going to play there. There are three suits of cards, cards numbered one to nine. The interesting thing is they all have symbols in the corner, and that is really going to trigger what happens regardless of what happens with the trick. Something's going to happen, like if you play a cannon and a Kraken card, you're going to destroy the Kraken card. If you play two boat cards, you're going to move your boat up one. If you play two whale's tails, you move straight forward. It's like a super move. So depending on who wins the trick and what symbols are in the trick, different things are going to happen. And the benefit of winning the tricks is the boat moves towards you. So there is a little bit of tactical movement. You got the board between the two of you. So you're always going to move forward, but it's got to move in one direction or the other. And it'll move toward the person who won the trick. So maybe there's an island or a Kraken tentacle in the way on one side. So you want one person to win that specific trick on purpose. And again, the whole point of the game is you're trying to get to the end. And that's the basics. Yep. So we're going to go through five points on the game, things we like, things we don't like, things that are a little bit mixed. And these are the things that stand out the most to us about the design and the experience of playing it. And then we'll give some uh, quick final thoughts. Since we're going to compare the two games at the end, we'll keep them a little bit shorter. But I'll start out with my number five, which is a mix. And this is the main kind of varying or variety element in the game, apart from the scenarios themselves. And that's the pirate cards. Each player gets a little pirate and it will generally, like, give you something to strive for. Like, hey, if you get this combo of cards played, you get this bonus. Or if you get this kind of cool thing, you get this bonus. And it's okay. Like, they're kind of fun. Uh, when you make it happen, it does feel pretty cool. My two big complaints with them is that, at least in my plays, I don't know about you, Peter, I found that it was very rare that we would get to use them. Maybe, like, once a game we would fire off a pirate ability that was really useful in some way. So that's a little bit negative. And then the other thing is, this is, I mean, this is very easily house ruled, but the rules technically say pick whichever pirate you want. So my son and I just very quickly picked the same ones we liked over and over again, <laughs> which I think sure. steals the variety away, but easy to house rule that and to say you shuffle them, like draw two, pick one or something like that. And that'd be easy enough. So they're fine. I certainly like other ways that games have done like special powers better, but for special powers and a trick taker, this is okay. Yep. And uh, I will get to that in a little bit. My number four, or my number four, my number five is that there are four tricks in, uh, when one player wins four tricks, it ends the round and then bad stuff happens at the end of the round and you reset and you go on to the next round. So it does force you a little bit to try to, I, I mean, I, I like the fact that it forces you to do like the trick taking tricks, quote unquote, like where you're trying to dive under somebody or, or do whatever. So it's just the two of you playing cards. So you're literally just playing the two cards around and you're comparing the two. You do have to follow suit if you can. So meaning there are only three suits in the game, cards numbered one to nine. If somebody plays an orange card, for example, you have to follow an orange card if you can. If you can't, you can play any card you want. And there's no way to win the trick if you don't have card of the same suit. You have to play in, the, you have to win with the, the current suit. So, for example, if I paid the orange three first and you had a black five, then you would have a higher number than me, but I would still win the trick. But I like the fact that they force you to like play around with that a little bit. Sometimes you want to move a certain way 
And it's not conducive to like who needs to win that trick. So you need to figure out a different thing to do to make the other person win the trick, but yet not move the ship or whatever. So I think it's clever how they do that and make you force you to balance out who's winning tricks. Yep. I'll mention that a bit more, but I agree with you. It's great. Uh, My number four is focused on the Kraken damage. So the deck starts out with not too many of these generally negative Kraken cards. They're like the lowest values. They don't really combo well with anything. But how it works is as the game goes along, as you crash into Kraken tentacles, as like the game just length increases because the Kraken's chasing you, then you'll get more of these cards added. And I enjoy this for a few reasons. Uh, First of all, it does kind of add a bit of chaos to the tracking because trick takers are a lot about card counting, you know, kind of what to expect. But it's like, oh, no, now there's an extra two in the deck. Oh, no, that was an extra three in the deck. You know, like having more of these cards and kind of uh, having to deal with that and account for that is fun. It changes the feeling of the hand as the game progresses. And then also you have to consistently call them back out of the deck by doing the right kind of things. Otherwise, the Kraken will catch you too quickly, which itself is kind of interesting. It's sort of like a little resource management puzzle. So I enjoy that aspect. It seems pretty unique in any trick taker I can think of that like the deck itself is changing and adapting to how you play across multiple hands. I think it's really cool. Yep. My number four is the damage, the cannons and the timer I said. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So you start with only the uh, three through nine cards in your deck. The ones and twos are out. They're all in what's called the Kraken deck. Those all have Krakens and steering wheels on it. So anytime you have a steering wheel, you have potential to move the ship. If there are two steering wheels, you move, including with these Kraken cards. The problem is for every Kraken symbol you have on it, you're taking a damage, which means you take cards from this Kraken pile and add it to your pile. So you start with only the threes in play, which do have the Kraken and the steering wheel, same as the ones and twos. But then as you take damage, because you play like these three cards with other things, you will add the ones and twos to your discard pile. Now, at the end of the round, you're also going to pull from this Kraken deck. So that's part of the timer, too, why you want to maximize the number of tricks you play, because it maximizes how far you're moving forward toward that end zone that we talked about earlier. So it's important to continue to move forward, but also it's important because fours and five have cannon on it. If you play a four and five with these cards, you don't move the ship, but you do discard it to the bottom of the Kraken deck. So it is important to get rid of some of these cards as well sometimes. So it's really an interesting balancing act of when you want to get rid of some cards that is the timer for the game, because if that deck ever runs empty, you lose. So really there's only six cards in there at the at the very beginning of the game, you're going to for sure put three more into the deck. And if you ever do a move that has them on, you're going to put more in each round. So you're going to quickly go through the deck, like two, three rounds. You'd be out if you don't use any cannons to remove some of these cards from the deck and add it back to the Kraken deck. So I don't know. It's For me, this is one of the more interesting parts of the game and one of the more positive parts of the game. I really liked how that system worked. And I agree, it changes the puzzle throughout the game um, in a in an interesting way. So that's my number four. Same as yours. Damage, cannons, all that fun stuff. Nice. All right, so my number three is kind of the core mechanic that uh, Peter mentioned, this whole idea of like having to move along and the cooperative movement. Uh, whoever wins the trick or has a higher number when you move, you tend to move towards their side of the board. So in addition to what Peter already mentioned, like trying to balance who's winning tricks and not reaching that four trick value that shuts down the turn too quickly, 
you're trying to like win the trick at the right time and you know maybe save some higher cards so that when it's time to move you can get around that rock or whatever so i, I think it's fun i think it's it's pretty cool it's it's just a nice like uh, jekyll and hyde we'll talk about later also has sort of a race ahead mechanic this one is very like tactile and fun just trying to kind of get around things in the right way and actually it does remind me a bit of fox in the forest do wet where you're kind of moving back and forth towards your side of the board and their side of the board to get on these spaces. But I don't know. I, I like pirate ships more than foxes in the forest. So sure, <laughs> the movement is pretty fun here uh, in a good way. Yeah, so my number three is those pirate cards you were talking about, the special powers on them. I found them a little more interesting than you did. I also found that they were very dangerous, especially the one my son liked to use, which is you had to play two of those Kraken cards together of the same number but you got like a super move forward you got to move like straight forward two spaces which is typically like super duper good but he kept trying to make it work over and over and we just kept taking damage or or whatever or i'd shoot it and he'd get mad at me because i'd take a cannon out and like get rid of the card that he was hoping to pair with something so i do you're right they don't trigger all the time but especially that one when it does trigger it had like a super cool effect i played with several different pirates uh one of the ones i found kind of interesting and one thing i forgot to mention and we haven't talked about yet is you do trade one card at the beginning of each round and you know that's that's not new to trick takers but i do think it it means something different in a cooperative trick taker it really you can give a lot of information and also try to make things pair together better with that one card trade so i do think um that leads to something interesting but the reason i mentioned it here in special powers is one of the pirates i was using the special power was they got to receive the card first look at it before they decided what card to pass back. So that one certainly would trigger every round. You're right, they're not game-breaking, they're not game-whatever, but there's so few rules of this game, I think it would be hard to have something that would be super specialized. Yeah, no, that's that's entirely fair, you're right. All right, uh, my number two, full-on con. No, no, no. That's the scenario variety. (laughs) Because... There ain't much scenario variety. And it feels like there's going to be. Like, when I open the game, I'm like, ooh, yes. You know, they got, like, six scenarios or five scenarios in a tutorial or whatever it is. And then you realize very quickly, at least in my opinion, that it's just going farther. You know, which, don't get me wrong, that is, it. it is more challenging. It's basically what they boil down to is a difficulty level. Like, how quickly can you move from left to right? And that's fine. I like that the game has a difficulty level. And also, I will say, trick takers are kind of built you know all the major trick takers were built on the idea that like it is kind of the same thing every time but the trick taking formula itself is fun enough that doesn't matter right like you don't you don't need like different modes of spades to make spades fun you don't need like hearts you know ultra edition to to make hearts stay interesting but you know this game is is battling in the same space as a jekyll and hyde versus scotland yard as the crew And I think those have kind of taken scenarios in a way that actually makes them feel like scenarios with like unique things that are different each time you play. So when I saw that the scenarios here were just like the map is longer and you got to go farther and it's just a difficulty mode, it just felt like a little bit of a letdown compared to other games in the same kind of hobby trick-taking space. So really, if you just like trick-takers, it's not, even though it's my number two, it's not like it's going to break the game. The trick-taking still works as intended. But it it was just a disappointment a bit compared to other games uh, that it's competing with. Now, is the expansion that you had in the box, was that included in the box as well? No, it's a separate expansion. But also, I found those scenarios also basically identical. Like, yeah, they had one or two extra spaces, but I don't know. 
went well. I found it not very interesting at all. <laughs> yeah, so the whirlpool moves you forward in extra space. The friendly ship, I don't even remember what that gives you, honestly. Yeah, um, maybe like it's sort of a cracking card. I forget too. And then there's the uh, the masts that do something as well. But yeah, my number two is a full on con, and it is that the game is samey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we've matched up quite well on this list. Yeah, here. it's interesting. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's it's a simple game. It's just interesting yes. that our opinions kind of came because we didn't even play Sail at all together. Peter played it with you, we did not. But I did. Yeah, no, I mean, I found it extremely samey after a couple plays. I'm like, yeah, I've seen everything there is to see. My number one contradicts this a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. After, yeah, you're right. Because of these other games, if this was the only cooperative trick taker there was, I think I would find it less uninteresting <laughs> i guess but um yeah because there's so many other options and because i like so many better yeah that th- this really stood out to me is yeah you're right every scenario is the same thing yes the tactical decisions you have from turn to turn change and that's you know I- i'll just go to my number one um so my number one is the pairing of the symbols leads to interesting tactical choices from hand to hand so sometimes i want to win because you've already won three tricks, or sometimes I want to win because I want the ship moving toward me. So there are different reasons to do different things. Sometimes I need to win, but I can't have the ship move toward me because either there's an island in the way or whatever else. So maybe we want to use a cannon card to get rid of a, a tentacle card that turn. I, I do think the trick taking is interesting. The fact that once you run out of a suit, there's no way to trump and get out of it. So if somebody like leaves himself one suit, they're basically just going to keep winning because there's no way for the other person to take the lead back. But then you also get interesting things you can do with the the pairs of cards as well. So, you know, they can play cards that will combo with your stuff and make sure you don't take extra damage or whatever. So I did think the tactical choices from hand to hand were interesting. I also thought sometimes between rounds we'd go, okay, it'd be really good if we could do this path or if we could get a forward move here pretty early. So we were kind of discussing that a little bit. And that way it reminded me a little bit of Sky Team, which we reviewed pretty recently, where again, I think that game is the same thing as well, where every mission is the same. They just make it a little harder. You got to turn left more, you got to turn right more. But that every mission seemed interesting. Whereas getting to my number two point, it didn't seem as interesting here. For whatever reason for me, maybe the the trick-taking wasn't as interesting as this dice placement. But I do think you have that same tactical, you know, pairing the symbols to, like, manipulate it in a specific way. I thought that was very interesting. And that's why it made my number one is pairing symbols. Yeah, and I kind of combined a few things for my number one. But it's very similar to what you just said. I I like, this is a, a pro for me. I like the setting up of combos. I like the pairing of symbols. I like how, you know, a lot of trick takers reward you in different ways for emptying your hand. And I think this one was very strong in that because the symbol pairing became so much easier when you're like out of a color. So I enjoyed that play. And then just to bounce off of what you said earlier, I love the whole like you each got to win. Like ideally to get the most out of the hand, you want to each win three tricks, generally speaking, before you get to the fourth. You know, like I just think that gives it a cool feeling that's a little different than most cooperative trick takers where you're just, you know, combined like, you know, a bridge, a spade, like where you and your partner are trying to get X number of tricks together, that kind of thing. Uh, but yes, the, the variety is not great, but I guess it's to get to my final thoughts. Um, I, I do, I do think that other cooperative trick takers have more variety than sale, 
but the theme is fun. The pirates can be cool. I really like the Kraken thing. I think that's pretty unique, like sort of having a changing deck and managing that changing deck. I think if you like cooperative trick takers, this is a small box. It's it's cheap. You might enjoy it. It's possible I'll have another game to recommend more in moments, but <laughs> for <laughs> for a good one you can get right now, sale is not a bad choice. Yeah, I'm with you basically on everything. I think the thing to me is while it had certain things I like from trick taking, uh, which other games don't, honestly, the crew doesn't have the, or does the crew, do you pass left or right? I think that's an optional. It's an optional thing. Like if you're failing a scenario, you can pass. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do like that in trick takers where you're kind of signaling to your partner what's going on. Honestly, maybe that should have been higher up and it wasn't even technically on my list, but I do like how you're like signaling to other players or, you know, giving them a card that you're hoping they play later so that you can either get rid of it or pair with it. Um, So, so I liked how that worked but it didn't feel like a trick taker to me even though it's clearly a trick taker but without trump without any real penalty or, or pros to the the cards and again you're using trick taking tropes to like make sure certain people are winning tricks but really the symbols overpowered the trick taking to me and so that's why it's a little bit lower on my list like of all these trick taking card games it's probably the lowest for me, you know, Fox in the Forest, the crew say, and I don't even remember Fox in the Forest. So that tells you what I think of this one a little bit. I don't, I don't think it's a bad game. I just feel like the trick taking wasn't that important in the game. And I felt like the symbol matching overpowered it. And it, I don't know. It was interesting, but not that interesting. Yeah. You know, that, that reminds me now that you say that. Did you play for Northwood, the solo trick taking one? Yes. Yeah. And that, that one also is like, a trick taker but kind of not because like the enemy quote-unquote deck always leads and you always follow you know so like some i mean that one did have a trump suit but it sort of feels like it's not a trick taker but i really like that game like i wouldn't necessarily call it a full-on trick taker but it still is a lot of fun this one is also fun and i agree with you it doesn't feel as much of a trick taker as some others but yeah it's definitely well i I mean guess we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves but it's, it's definitely the lowest ranked of the ones you mentioned yeah, and let's, it does, let's, <laughs> and I guess I sounded a little bit more negative than I meant to. I would still play this. I oh, would yeah, still happily play this if somebody pulled it out. I mean, I love trick-taking games. So that in and of itself, like I would still definitely, if there were no other options, like, or if somebody really loved this game, I would absolutely play it with them anytime. It just, you know, of the games we're talking about, I think a lot of them are great. And I think this one is fine. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you, but let's get to a game that I'm guessing we both like better from what we've already said. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> let's talk about Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard. So I have not played. Apparently there is a two player competitive trick taker called just Jekyll versus Hyde that came out previous to this one, I think from the same designer. And apparently a lot of the mechanics there are similar. So again, I haven't played that. I can't speak to it, but this is the cooperative one, two player Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard. And this is a sort of scenario-based, like, kind of campaign in that the game kind of gets more complicated and they add rules and sometimes change rules. They have, like, a little storyline talking about the story of Jekyll and Hyde with some changes in it from the actual uh, original story. And, yeah, you know, whatever. It's, it's a cooperative trick-taker. The key thing here that is different from Sale is that there is an opponent. You both uh, start with 12 cards and you each give four to this opponent. So you each have eight cards, including the city deck. And then... This is a traditional take trick taker where the winner of the last trick leads into the next trick, except it's not a Trump suit. There's three different colored suits and Trump 
one of them will trump two of the others and then one will be in the middle. So they kind of have rankings and you set that throughout play. There's these wild cards called potions that trigger special effects. But in the end, you are trying, again, this is a little bit like Sale, a little bit like Fox in the Forest. You had closer to Sale, I guess. You're trying to gain cards and win tricks that'll move your pawn ahead on the board while staying ahead of the Scotland Yard pawn that also moves based on different things you do. So it's like a little race across two hands. You always play two hands in a given scenario. A race across those two hands to get to the end before the Scotland Yard people do. All right, so uh, Peter, why don't you start with your number five for this one since I started for sale? Yep, my number five is the number of tricks matters, meaning so each game in this like campaign has different rules, but they kind of build on each other. So the beginning one is more of a tutorial where you're just learning kind of how you move. And so it does change throughout the game, but like almost always the way it works is the the lesser of the number of tricks one is how many spaces you move forward. So for example, if you know there are eight total tricks, if you won four and I won four, we'd both we'd move our pawn four spaces ahead. If you won five, I won three, we'd move ahead three spaces. But there's a catch, as Mike said, there is a random AI hand in there as well. So they may win two or three tricks, and then your lowest person may win zero, one, or two tricks. So you're trying to figure out a way to balance out the number of tricks to move you forward. But not only is the number of tricks one mattered, but it also matters what you get. So like later in the game, they're like the lowest numbered cards have uh, like a billy hat on it that moves Scotland Yard forward, but only if they're in won by a trick of the lead player so whoever started that round so you want the lead player to win their you know certain number of tricks but you also want them to win not tricks that uh, have these lower cards in them as well so just manipulating that i thought is really interesting really cool you also always want the the tricks with the eight which is the highest of each suit in them because if you get those and you never start with those you have to give them to the dummy hand you want those tricks so those are interesting as well because they're the highest numbers, but you got to figure out a way to get them in your hand. And there's other ways to manipulate it. I'm sure Mike will talk more about it, but I just, I just think it's interesting, just the overall structure of the game, how the number of tricks matters and what's consisted of the tricks you win matters as well. It really gets you thinking for every hand exactly how you want it to play out. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be talking about that in a few ways uh, later. My number five is focused on the the chapters, like the little like scenarios I talked about. On the negative side, a minor negative, like if you're here for narrative, don't be. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of along the lines of the crew where it's like, hey, they have some things you can read. Yep, that that, that was a thing I read. But the I do like the scenarios mostly. Uh, there there are maybe too many s- tutorial scenarios. And they kind of take a little too long, in my opinion, to actually have you playing the real game, quote unquote. Like, I think it's not until scenario four that you kind of have like the basic rules and then they start adding stuff with scenario five. So it does feel like the tutorial maybe goes a bit too long. And also they have like this star system, like the quicker you win a scenario, the more stars you get. And as you lose, it gets easier. I don't know. At least me and my son who were playing this the most. Like that's the person I played through the entire campaign with. And also when I played with Jeremy Howard at PAX, the first time I played it, like I, we don't, we didn't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but take that aside, the storyline and like the, you know, the campaign star victory condition stuff. I think the actual scenarios are very fun. They, it reminds me a lot, you know, again, unlike sale and like something like the crew, 
I feel like the little differences are sometimes very big differences. Like there are scenarios where one player doesn't want to win any tricks, which is not what it is like in any other gameplay. They, they really change things up. They make things feel different game to game without making you have to learn a billion rules. And I generally really enjoy them, except for the little uh, nitpicks I talked about. Yeah, my number four is the campaign. <laughs> the scenario. <laughs> I mean, with small games like this, we're going to have some overlap. Maybe it should have been number five as well, because I guess my number five was like, I like how the game plays. <laughs> uh, but uh, my number four being the campaign, I-, I agree with you. I like how they change it up. It did remind me of the crew in that way. I don't necessarily agree with you about being too many tutorial scenarios because I found those interesting as well. And as I was introducing the game, and it's not like you have to play them all. There's nothing that carries over, by the way, from mission to mission, as far as I know, at least for those first four. So you could certainly skip right to the ones where you're starting to get stars or whatever. I did never finish the campaign, but I did like how every game you were just getting one little rule added and one little rule added. Because I do think if you went straight to mission four, it would have been a lot to take in at once. And so, and especially because I was playing with my wife mostly on this one, who didn't play a lot of trick takers, I thought it was a nice, gentle introduction to this, not only trick takers, but the system itself. And I don't know, I just really enjoyed the campaign and I, it went along at the right clip for me. But again, if it's not the right clip for you, I feel like you could skip stuff too and it wouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're totally right about that. All right, so my number four is the potions. I really like these. So these are kind of a wild, although not really a wild, because whichever suit color of the three suits they are played in most proximity to, they become that color. But they do give you kind of interesting ways to control who wins the tricks, because you can like, you know, not you don't know what color they are until you need them to be a color. And then also on top of that, they have these powers. One of them depends on which color they pair with. One of them lets you steal a trick from the city. One of them lets you change the order of the colors and like which one is the Trumpiest of the Trumps. And uh, the other one lets you like steal a card from the city deck and replace it. So they're cool. They give you interesting powers. Sometimes you're forced to use them and you don't want to use the power. You're like, "Ah, I don't want to resolve this, but you're forced to. So that's kind of interesting part of the puzzle too. But yeah, they reminded me most of something like uh, Fox and the Forest to win. I know you haven't played that one uh, in a while, Peter. I haven't either. But that also had like cool little cards that had special powers. Except here, the interesting thing is they, it's almost like a cat in the box that, uh, that like uh, the, the, the cat one where your cards are undefined. The fact that like you don't know what color they are yet and you don't know what ability you're going to use them for yet. That's a fun part of them too. So I like everything about the potions. Yep. My number three is the enemy deck, which whatever you want to call it. Now, both of these games do have some variety from game to game because you're not dealing out the entire deck. I guess we should have mentioned that in sale. Like there are always going to be cards on the side. You don't deal out every card. It works the same way here, but you do deal out a decent number of them. I think there are four left over or something like that. So there is some uncertainty in there, but I love the fact that you get dealt these cards and then you are now also deciding like the decision before the gameplay even starts of which four cards you're getting rid of. Now, sometimes you don't have a choice because you have to give them all your eights. But I don't know. It led to some neat variety. And there's also uncertainty in every trick you play because of this enemy deck as well, where, you know, all right, you and I have this great plan. I'm going to play the two and you probably have a higher card of the suit. But then the AI, they don't have to stick the suit. 
because they're just playing the top card of their deck, they may play a card of a higher rank than you. And so even those choices are interesting. It's like, well, do I play the highest rank, even though I have a really low card in that rank? Or because it, it, at that point, it almost becomes like a, a linear thing where you have like, you know, all the cards are in line. So any card can be played with any other card. Um, now you do have to stay in suit if you are one of the players, but the AI doesn't have to do that. So maybe I want to play the highest rank. So that way there isn't a high likelihood that they'll play over me, or sometimes you want them to play over you. And so you play a really low card and you, cause you want them to take that trick. So I don't know. I just think the enemy deck adds just a level of uncertainty, a level of randomness in there. Some people don't like randomness in their games. I love the chaos that it adds to the game. It's not overwhelming, but it's enough to make it interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, my number three is the rankings. I think this is a very unique thing. I, again, I don't know that I've seen a game like this before. Like usually there either is a Trump suit or there isn't a Trump suit or the Trump suit changes, but it's still set for the round. So the idea that the Trump or not really Trump, I don't know, the rankings is the only way to call them. The rankings yep. of suits is different. And you have some control. Now, th- this could be negative or positive for people. You have some control over the ranking, like especially the the city plays the first card and that could be very random. Now you are putting the cards into the city deck. So if you never give them any blue, they're not going to play a blue first. You know what I mean? And it will never well, and be. That, <laughs> and that is one thing I found because I was like, oh man, this is weird. I kept a lot of blue cards. I hope blue isn't the first color card to come out. But then I remembered I put half the cards in there. So if I didn't put any blue in there, it is very unlikely to be the, the bottom card because whatever the, the rankings, the way it works is whatever comes out first is the lowest ranked card. Yeah. Whatever comes out second is the second lowest and whatever comes out last is the highest ranked card. So it's very unlikely. But yes, I thought about that too. It's like, man, if I go long suited in something, I could be in trouble here, right? Like if that comes out first. So, so stop, stop steal my point, Peter. <laughs> well, it's my number two also. So oh, like, we're right there. All, right. all right. Well, yeah. So, so let me finish up. Everything Peter said is right. So, but yeah, so it, it can feel a little random, but it's not as random as you think. It has really interesting choices. The ability with the potion to change it up is really cool. And probably the neatest thing is you're not allowed to co- communicate with your partner, except when a potion is played, you can just discuss the potion. So you'd be like, nah, I really need blue to be the highest, dude. I need blue to be the highest. But often just because of how cards work, like my log suit won't be their log suit. So I might win too many tricks because again, you need to like control for most of the scenarios who's winning tricks to move as far as possible. So I think it's a very cool thing. You know, it might throw some people off. It might seem a little weird, but I think it's again, super unique and definitely a fun element of the tactical play of the game. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And it's my number two. So I'll just talk about it briefly and you can get to your number two. The suit rank. I just think it's such a neat element to the game when you first set it. Now you still, again, have to play in suit if you can. But again, that AI deck doesn't have to follow any of these rules. So if one of you two is leading, the AI deck could throw up the wrench in the plans all the time. But no, I, I just think it's so neat how there's no defined Trump and Trump can even change throughout the game. For me, it is, uh, it's one of the coolest parts about the game. When I first played it and saw that, I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really neat. Now, it does lead to some bad things. Like if you're long suited in like the highest ranked thing, you're going to win all the tricks, which means your partner's not winning. And if you remember back to the beginning, the person who won the least amount of tricks is how far you're moving. So that's not necessarily good either. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought it was very clever. I'm glad they did it. Yeah, my number two, we swapped with your number three. It's the city, the opposing deck. First of all, I have to say, 
I like having an opponent in a trick-taking game. You know, like it, it's it goes, it's worth saying because the crew does not have an opponent. Yep. Fox and the Forest Duet does not have an opponent. The yep. Sale does not have an opponent. Like all of them have an element of time or balancing amongst the players, which this also has. This also definitely has that. But this is the only one of all the cooperative trick takers I've played. You know, the only other one is the solo only one I mentioned for Northwood. That has an opponent. But this is the only one that has an opponent. And I just like that because that's what trick taking is about. Like I want to steal a trick from somebody. And, and yes, like I guess you steal in the crew, but it's really more protecting each other. And that still exists here, but you're also trying to beat somebody. So I think that's great. Like you already said, Peter, I like that you're creating their hand. You're controlling the distribution of their hand, that you need them to win sometimes, but not too much. And you got to balance all of that. I just think it's really cool. Love having a cooperative trick taker with a real opponent that is really fighting you in a weird controlled random way, (laughs) but it's still there, like actually opposing you for tricks. Yep. And my number one, you've already mentioned as well. And it's the potions. I really love how these potions. Oh, wow, work. that's your number one. I would never have expected that. Because it like totally changes every. I mean, look, my number five maybe should have been my number one, which is basically everything <laughs> about the gameplay, right? Right. But I don't know. Like when I think about this game, like I love how the potions. Like, all right, I need somebody to play an orange card so I can play this and steal a trick from the AI, or I need to play a blue card because I want to change the order of things. Or I think the black one is you look at the top card of their deck and you can either keep it yourself or, or give them, you give them any card back. So you take the top card of the deck and I guess you give them one back, including the one you just took from them. And so you're basically controlling what the AI is doing for the next round. Like, I just think it's so clever, like all these little tiny ways you can manipulate the way the game is going. If it's not going the way you want it to, if you get yourself in a bad situation, like I did many times because I'm long suited and now I got the lead and I'm just going to keep winning because my suit, because it was not played by anybody early because I have all of them like ends up being the Trump suit. Like I can move that down. So I don't end up winning every trick for the rest of the game. Right? Like I like how they let you fix situations mid game and even plan to fix situations. Like you're like, okay, this I know is not going the way I want it to, but that's okay. I got a potion that I can fix it later. So I don't know. I just like how they change things. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of clever things in this game. But this one stuck out the most in my mind. Yeah, and mine, I guess, is kind of the way the entire game plays. (laughs) (laughs) Although I I specifically called it competing objectives. And this does go back to the scenario design, but also like the core kind of gameplay mechanic in that sometimes the city needs to win. The key thing, I don't know if we've emphasized it enough, is that in most of the scenarios, kind of similar to the tentacles from Sale, but I I like them a little better, is that uh, the lowest numbers, the cop hats or whatever they are, the one, twos and threes, wherever those end up, if, if either player wins them in most scenarios, that's how far Scotland Yard moves. So like you want to throw those off for the opponent when you can. And then also like muddies things because you can steal the opponent's tricks with some of the potions, but oh man, do I really want that? There's also some hats in that trick. I don't know if I want that trick anymore. So there's like some cool things there. The opponent automatically has all the eights, which give you extra movements. You want to grab those. And I don't know. There's like a lot of times you want to win and a lot of times you don't want to win. 
Again, you want to balance it so you each win a fair share. It does remind me of the racing to four thing in sale. I think it's a similar feeling of like wanting to win at the right time. And I think this game also does it in a great, really fascinating way. That again, changes up from scenario to scenario. So it's not always the same competing objectives and like tactical choices in the card play, which is also great. So yeah, I think it's a, a really good game. And just to go into my final thoughts, uh, this is the number one for me. You know, Peter, you're saying sale is maybe the lowest of this very small subset of <laughs> cooperative uh, trick takers. This is my favorites that I've played uh, over okay. over Fox in the Forest duet over sale. Even though I would say just to, you know, to throw an extra one in there. I like this also better than two player the crew. Uh, oh, yes. Two player. two player the crew is kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought you meant better than the crew even. No, no, no. Like, I, I would still, if I have to play a two-player trick taker, this would be the one I would want to play. Yes, 100%. Uh, but if I, yeah, if I had three or four players that are ready to play trick takers, the crew would still, I would have a better time with that, I think, than this even. But well, it, yeah, because you it's couldn't close. play just three or four players. Yeah, yeah, well, besides <laughs> that, I just think the crew still has more going on and even more variety. Yeah. But I got to say, I love, again, there's an opponent here. The crew doesn't have that. That's and true. And I do really appreciate that. So certainly I'm I'm going to keep both of those in my collection, Jekyll and Hyde and or Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard and the crew and and for Northwood because I love that one for solo play. There, there you go. That, that covers every player count I currently want for trick takers. Those are my yes. trifecta of awesomeness until another one comes and replaces one of them. Yeah, I'd have to play for Northwood more. I didn't love it the way you loved it. I don't know why, and I don't remember why. I think there was just a lot of words on all the cards. And that's the one thing. Like, Sale and Jekyll and Hyde, like, there's a lot of special abilities. Not a lot, but there's special abilities. There's interesting stuff going on the board. But they don't have a lot of words, right? It's not like, do this if this is the first trick played and this is whatever. Like, they have those special abilities, but it's kind of in the rule book, not on the cards themselves. And they do appreciate it more here. So maybe that's why I bounced off for Northwood a little bit. It's like you have like nine cards you could fight against at the beginning. And it's like, which one do you want to take into your deck? It's like, I have no idea what any of these cards do. Now I got to <laughs> read nine cards before I can even make a decision. I don't know. So I bounced off that one a little bit more than you did. But I agree with you on Jekyll and Hyde. As far as two player trick taker go or Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard, I guess I got to be very clear because there is a Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, no, I, for me, you're right. I agree. It is the top two player trick taking cooperative game that's out there. And honestly, I like it better than a lot of non cooperative trick taking games, like, you know, competitive trick taking games. And that's one of my favorite genres of games. I really love those clever tweaks that they do to trick taking. Like I'd love to play a competitive one where you get this like, and and maybe it wouldn't work the suit rank or whatever. Well, in a competitive I, I, think, game. I think that's what Jekyll versus Hyde is again. I think like maybe the potions and the suit ranking thing is there. I think there might even be a third player that you're both fighting for tricks with. I'm not sure, but yeah. Oh, Okay. I, I, yeah, again, I'm, I'm going off here saying I think somebody like mentioned that they were very similar on the Discord. But yeah, we might want to check that out. But yes, I, I, I'm i with you. Like, I still like a lot of competitive trick takers. I love like Oh Hell, Spades, Bridge, Hearts, like all those things. I would play this over many of those if I, well, again, <laughs> all those need more than two players. So it's Correct. not entirely a direct, <laughs> you know, conflict. But um, yes, I, I would, I, I like this one a lot. Definitely stayed in my collection. 
Yeah, no, no, I agree. So, yeah, we're both, I mean, and both of our points were very similar. Again, my number five maybe should have been my number one. And then we would have lined up on almost like literally everything if we had done that. Because campaign was my four, it was your five. I think enemy deck was my three and your four. Like, yeah, I think literally if I had moved my five to my number one, we would have, uh, uh, except for potions, I guess, in suit rank, we had those two flipped. Yeah, but no, it's, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. If you get a chance, if you like trick-taking games at all, I think even if you're new to trick takers, it wouldn't be too far of a jump. I think sale would be easier if you've never played a trick taker. Maybe that's the one spot it fits better. What are your thoughts on that as far as introducing new people? I mean, Jekyll and Jekyll and Hyde versus Scotland Yard, you know, I can play about the tutorial, but it starts out very basic and slowly adds a few more rules. I played with my 11 year old. Now he has played the crew and he has played sale. So I don't know if he's really a beginner for trick taking, but he's only 11 and he figured it out right away. So, Well, I, think- I guess I guess the point being, and it's hard for me to say because I played a lot of trick taking games in my life. If there are two people that have never played a trick taker before and they're trying to figure this out. Well, here's the problem, though. I think you're right that sale is in a lot of ways not a trick taker more ways yeah. than this one is not a trick taker. So maybe sale be a little bit easier to teach somebody. But also then it would be harder to actually go to another trick taker and teach them how to play that, if if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I do like that they emphasize different things. Like sale for me emphasizes the passing of cards, right? Which I like in a lot of trick takers. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, that's emphasized there. And, you know, you still have the diving where you don't want to win tricks. You still have following suit, things like that. You have, again, for me, the biggest thing is the passing of cards, which wasn't even one of my five points, but like, which helps signal your teammate, like where you want to go with those tricks. Whereas Jekyll and Hyde really emphasizes, you know, trying to balance out like who wins tricks, trying to figure out what you need to lead to let your partner win, you know, not winning certain tricks, which changes even throughout the course of play because they've got bad cards and stuff in them. Now, again, that doesn't happen in most trick takers, but it happens like hearts, for example, where you want to avoid certain tricks because they get hearts or the queen of spades or whatever in there. So yeah, I just, I guess I also like how they emphasize different aspects of trick taking. So yeah, no, no, I mean, I love what they're doing with these cooperative trick takers. Like it's, I never thought it would be a thing or a genre and I'm glad it is. Absolutely. And and again, just trick takers in general. I'm a big fan of trick takers, have been for years. So are you, Peter? And I just love all, like I've been playing a lot of these uh, different competitive trick takers a lot, like with this uh, new game group at work I play with. And they've all been fun and different and weird in their own ways, you know? And, and like the, the, I love the trick takers let you do crazy things. Like how many games would be like, hey, you could play three players. That's it. You need three yep. people. Get, get away if you don't have three <laughs> people. You know, And like in the trick taking space, it's like, oh, well, the game's only 15 bucks. Yeah, fine. Whatever. I'll, I'll do it. Yep. <laughs> um, like I love that. I, lo- I love the experimentation. Again, a lot of it is coming out of um, out of Japan and Korea and kind of like Southeast Asia in general. And I just think it is so freaking great. So keep keep them coming and and more more cooperative and, and maybe even another solo one like I love for Northwood let's have let's have another solo trick taker. I wonder if they're ever going to be able to figure out how to do a ladder climbing cooperative game, which is a little bit different than trick taking, right? Because trick taking is like once around you you end it, but ladder climbing is I play a two, then you have to play higher than that a three. If I could play a four, then I can keep go- you know you keep going back and forth and you're trying to empty out your hand. I don't know how 
easy that would be. And I don't know a way to make it as interesting as they made these other games. But I do wonder, because I know ladder climbing games are also very popular. I wonder if that's like the next evolution. What's coming soon? Let's do it. Let's see it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not doing it, but... (laughs) All right, everybody. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the the double review time. Again, maybe Agamonia in two weeks, depending on how much more uh, Peter plays. I've already played a bunch of it. And, well, it's not. Uh, we could definitely do Wormspan in two weeks if that's been cleared for, uh, sure, for sure. review. Oh, yeah, and then we could do Agamonia after that. And that way Cleared for review. It's out, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, anybody can order it. We can definitely review it. <laughs> well, I know we've had it for a while. So, like, yes. Now that we actually can review it, we could potentially do that one next. So we'll see. Sure. It'll probably be one of those two. And then who knows? Maybe even after the virus, if nothing new comes out in the next month and I, a half. I literally have like <laughs> six more new games already. Like it's it's kind of a crazy time right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, great having a uh, discussion where we agree on almost everything on both games. That doesn't happen very often. Um, no, not as much as I mean, now that we try to play the game separately, definitely not as much as it used to. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I think we're on the same page with trick takers and stuff. So now I know what to play with you while we're waiting for Jerry. Yeah, there you go. All right. Night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Trick or treat. Uh, Take it. Take her. Trick. Take her. Trick is always the answer. That's right.